Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff Hem. Welcome to another edition of Rounding Third. It's Jeff Hem here with you. And today on this episode of Rounding Third, we catch up with former Sounds pitcher, now Sounds pitching coach for the Milwaukee Brewers, Jim Henderson. And, and Jim, you know, I like to do these podcast interviews with, with guys like you and, and managers and other coaches because when you join me on radio pregame shows, we're usually talking about other people, talking about your pitchers and how they're doing. But I think it's fun for fans to hear more from you and about your path. And we've talked a little bit about it this year on pregame shows. But I want to start just kind of aerial view as you're getting toward the end of what turned out to be a 14-year playing career. When did coaching get into your mind as maybe the next option for you for what to do post-playing career? Um, I mean, kind of as I kind of was seeing it come to an end, uh, body not cooperating, arm not cooperating, just thinking about the next step. Uh, just kind of picking some brains of uh, former coaches and players who, who I was close to who are into coaching now and just kind of asking them what their thoughts were on, on, on when to get into coaching and they kind of gave me the advice of like just do it right away. If you don't if you don't get into the game right away, you kind of, unfortunately, you're, you're kind of forgotten a little bit. So, so uh, you know, if you do want to do it, so just jump in it. So I, I made some calls, kind of fished around and, and thought about just kind of let's see how I like it first and let's try, let's try to take advantage of that opportunity of jumping into it right away and then kind of go from there. How did you navigate the timing of when to call it a playing career because you had other injury moments during your career which you would come back from so how did you balance okay is is now the time that I'm ready to be done um I think it was just you know I I came back from my second surgery and I and I had like a short off season that year trying to come back from it and and didn't didn't quite respond and then the next off season I got a full off season recovery and I, I actually got another year of big league time in so um I think I think when I gave myself the opportunity for rest in the off seasons, I felt good. But once I started like trying to pick it up again um, in season and try to get through seasons, it just wasn't cooperating. So I felt like that, okay, all right, I got the full rest and it's not cooperating, the, the combination of the two. So uh, that's when it was kind of time to call it quits. Man, I think, I think coaching fits you perfectly. I, I mean, getting to know you a little bit as a player as I did and now seeing how you work with guys it, it just seems like such a good fit. What have you grown to like the most about it over these last few years? Um, I just, you know, especially when, to, when I went to uh, low A to start, I went to Helena and low A it just kind of brings you back to those early, early days and just kind of um, teaching guys just the ins and outs of professional baseball and kind of the grind of it. These kids have never done 142 games in a season and, and uh, it was just kind of nice to just kind of navigate them, help them navigate the the ups and downs and the recovery and, and what to do in your bullpen session between starts and just the day-to-day stuff was kind of just fun to teach at, at the beginning for sure. Now you're, you're not an old guy. I mean, at least I hope you're not because we're about the same age, but you, you did come up, talking about low A, you came up with the Expos. Is there a punchline in there somewhere that the team you came up with is not even around anymore as far as uh, what players might see when they look at your old numbers? It is nice. I mean, yes, we consider ourselves young, I guess, now. And to drop that you're drafted by the Expos is, is kind of cool because, I mean, they were, they were only around. I was only in that system for two years before they switched to Nationals. So I still got that last piece of it to, like, carry it on to this young age that we have. But uh, so it's, it is cool that 
these young kids sometimes forget that the Expos even existed <laughs> and uh, kind of does make you feel old at times. But yeah, but yeah it is fun. 14-year career, and it was in year 10 that you finally got to the big leagues. It was 2012. It happened to be my first year with the Sounds. I remember it well. Uh, you were just dominating that year, and it was this sort of unwritten question of, like, when is or will Jim get an opportunity? But in the first, you know, nine-plus years, because you battled some injuries and at times you were one of the older guys, so to speak, at the various levels, how, how close were you at times to thinking about shutting it down even then? Were there moments like that? Sure, definitely. Uh, I stunk. I stunk some years. There's a lot of years. That's nine, ten years in the minors, and obviously they weren't all that good, or else I would have been moving up pretty quick. But um, I think it was after after a couple of years in A-ball at the beginning where you just kind of – you're young. You, you're young but not young. I was, tw I was a college draft kid, so, um, you know, you're in your mid-20s and you're seeing – 19 and 20 year olds coming past you by so those are probably the times where you think about it the most when you're and you're not performing well um, but you know again just talking to other people and friends that I grew up with and were done playing their college baseball and working office jobs they're just like stay stay with it man yeah. just just you know enjoy it play the game as long as you can it's yeah. it's, a, it's a game in the end of the day making making a little bit of money at it but you get to you get to do something for fun so I uh, kind of stuck with it in 2012, when you became the Sounds closer and you had a sub-2 ERA and it felt like you were striking out the side all the time in the ninth inning, things are going great. What was it like for you mentally trying to, probably wondering like anybody else, am I going to get a shot? But also not trying to obsess about that, but also hoping, okay, I hope I'm on their radar. Like, how did you navigate that year? Because it wasn't like you got called up in April. No, it was, uh, I mean... It was almost like a courtesy re-signed me that, that off-season before. Um, just kind of been with the organization for a bit. I was a guy who could, at that point, throw some multiple innings out of the pen and just kind of help with, depth, with a depth piece. And um, so I've, I think I was on a phantom DL to start the year at one point. So I, I knew I was, like, lowest in the depth chart. So I just kind of had to go out there and take the innings I could and, and pitch. Um, but, uh, yeah, you get to the point where you start stringing it together. And I remember... Um, the GM made his made his visit to Nashville. Um, Doug Melvin and Gord were in town, and they made their visit. And I was like, and this was kind of like, I was on a hot streak, and I'm thinking this is this is the chance. And I was, I didn't pitch too good. It was like the first kind of bad outing I had. And I was like, oh, like that pressure you put on yourself. Yeah. And I think I uh, was kind of down on myself, but I got to fortunately go back out there the next day on a back to back and pitch well again. So those are the type of things that go through your mind though when you're when you're. Uh, you know, having a run like that and in a position I was in my career that, you know, every little pitch matters at that point. So, um, so yeah, it was a little hard to deal with mentally, but at the same time, you know, just to be able to kind of almost gill over those nerves and go back out the next day was really helpful. When you got the call up, do you, you remember much about it? I think it was after a game, wasn't it, that you got called in? Mike Guerrero was the manager. What do you recall about actually finding out the news? Yes, for real, that I am going to the big leagues now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told the story plenty of times. Um, it was, uh, you know, Mike held a team meeting after the game, um, which we which he never does. So we figured something was up. Um, so he starts off by kind of getting all serious, saying that there was an issue in the bullpen and that there was some females down the uh, down the baseline that were getting harassed by the bullpen guys, and he tried to like say the cops were outside and tried to play this whole prank on us. And we all knew nothing, none of that <laughs> happened throughout the game. And then he just kind of said, you know, uh, 
you know, you keep on playing this game, you keep a jersey on your back, and you give yourself a chance. And he told me I'm going to the big leagues. So uh, it was a really cool moment. The entire team got to experience it, you know, and it, it usually doesn't happen that way. Um, I know uh, I heard, uh, who was it last, or in 19 with the San Antonio missions? Oh, Nate Orff. Nate Orff, yeah. Orff had kind of a long career, and, and uh, I heard something similar that happened to him where the whole clubhouse gets involved in something yeah. like that. So I think it's kind of special for guys like him and me when you have this long journey and everybody gets to kind of celebrate with you. So it was, it was, a, it was a big moment and a, a cool moment for everybody. What I remember about that night is I was up in the booth at Greer Stadium finishing the, the post-game show on the broadcast, and I saw you come out. Uh, folks might remember the clubhouses were out beyond the outfield wall at that time, and I remember seeing you standing in the outfield i think you were on your phone probably making some calls and i could tell from like several hundred feet away the emotions were real for you i mean describe those those phone calls and just letting that moment sink in because of the path that you had been on i can't imagine the emotion <laughs> yeah i mean it's a first off like a it's like a shock a little motion like I said, the teammates were involved in it, and then you try to, like, it's almost like a panic then. You try to make the phone calls. Uh, you, you know, it was a day game the next day in Milwaukee, and I had an early flight, and you just got to, like, you want to make the phone calls. You also want to get home and pack. I also wanted to get my shoulder work in, I remember. I still want to, like, get the work in. <laughs> so, uh, it was yeah, it's, it was kind of a blur, just kind of trying to piece it all together at the time, but uh, emotional, fun, memorable moment for sure. Okay, the question I've asked hundreds of guys I feel like over the years, you get that first taste, that balance of using the, the, the energy to, as a positive but trying to stay calm, which has got to be impossible in your first couple of outings. But then over time and in 2013, you became the Brewers' closer. So at some point, clearly you were able to settle in and make it feel normal up there. What was that process like for you? Because you see guys now as a pitching coach trying to do it themselves. Yeah, I, I don't think I felt my body much in that 2012 <laughs> season after I went up I did like I, I got to close a few games I think uh in those in those moments in 2012 I was just trying to get three outs when I went out there I just that's all I tried to just throw the ball over the plate get the outs there was you know pitching that environment never have done it before and you just you just kind of black out and just kind of try to try to find the glove uh, but yeah in 13 once that confidence kind of came in settled in that offseason that I'm actually I did a good, did a decent job and got a chance to be on the opening day roster next next year. Uh, you start to kind of calm down a little bit, a little more comfortable with your surroundings and, and your teammates and the coaching staff, and it just kind of it's a team sport. And when you have the support of an organization and the people on the bench, it's it makes you a lot feel a lot more comfortable. And and uh, so that's kind of what I brought into 13 with me. I I remember interviewing you one time as a player, and you said I forget exactly what we were talking about, but it was the opposing team and whatever their lineup was. And you said something like, I, I never try to give the hitters too much credit, whether it's, you know, a Mike Trout type or not. There's that element of you're respecting them, but in your mind, you, you almost don't care who they are. Elaborate on that that premise. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how I kind of started pitching is just like, um, they didn't matter who's up at the plate. I. I have the advantage and I'm going to beat you. And I think that's the way you kind of have to, you have to approach it as a pitcher. Um, you have the odds in your favor the moment you step on the rubber, just in, just just with the numbers as it is, it doesn't matter who's up there. So um, you just have to kind of take that to your advantage and kind of use it even more, I think. And just, um, there was one guy who got me once in a while, it was Andrew McCutcheon would hit the ball hard, but it, I still just felt confident every time he came up that 
yeah, he might hit it hard somewhere, but he's still going to be out the yeah. majority of the time. So you just kind of have to take that uh, you know approach out there. You had that run with the Brewers then in 13, and then 14 and 15, you were battling to get back to the big leagues and stay again, and you got there in 16 with the Mets. How satisfying was that just once again to work your way back, even though it was no longer with Milwaukee? Yeah, there was two different feelings that your debut where I just felt like, like holy cow, this is this is an incredible feeling. Um, to when I got back with the Mets and then when I made the open day roster there and and, and uh, getting back on the big league mound, that was like just an unbelievable satisfaction. Could like you you can put almost my debut and that kind of side by side of how how my, how good that felt to me. Um, just by working back from a second surgery, getting that off season, I came down with the Brewers and spent the 2015 season with the Colorado Springs, and uh, and then just to be able to get back, it was just it was very satisfying. I put a lot of hard work in that off season, so uh, it was all worth it when I made that appearance. I know some of your former teammates, Taylor Green's a good example. He's with the Brewers now, working in scouting. Did you think about scouting at all, or was it you knew you wanted to be a pitching coach if you were going to stay in the game after playing? Yeah, he's actually one of the guys I had a lot of connections to here, and and uh, and kind of asked his advice. He kind of helped me get into the scouting a little bit, so that was kind of how they kind of got me into the the system as a as a coach and a scout. We kind of find the budget to work around, and I. I, uh, so I did a little bit of both my first year and uh, just kind of how the games evolved with uh, video scouting now and, and there's just not as many in person and uh, unfortunately some scouts have been let go because of um, just the technology in the game and how you can scout so uh, it was kind of like the advice is given like coaching the coaching route might be the best way to go to kind of stay in it so um, took their advice and, and glad I did I enjoy it yeah yeah it, it, you it's not like we're all that far removed from your playing career, but I feel like there's been this massive jump in the game in the last few years with the Rapsodos and the Edgertronic cameras and everything that's set up when a guy's throwing a bullpen. Do you think, it would only be natural for you to think back to like, well, if that had a little bit more information like that when I played, what, what could I have done? How could I have used it? Is there that component in your mind? There is some, yeah, especially... Um I think I always had a decent fastball when I was healthy and doing good with that, and that was a pitch I used 80, 85 percent of the time. So, um, so that's that's kind of how I threw the through. That's how I pitched, and I think that was was very helpful to me. But uh, yeah, the breaking stuff, the secondary stuff, I never really had a change up. Uh, and I think those these tools here, and I've been through some pitch design programs with the Brewers, and I think that's uh, now the stuff I've learned and pitch grips and cues, and I never even thought about moving my hand a different direction on my change up until I started using this stuff. So yeah. uh, it could have been valuable for sure, uh, but I'm still glad the way it went the way it went. <laughs> Do you have any, uh, I guess, pet peeves would be the phrase, like as a coach, if, if, uh, if somebody's going to be on your staff, things that are, are sort of uh, staples for you as you develop a style, so to speak, as a coach? Uh, I just want guys who compete. Like I, you know, that's that's it. You go out there and kind of how I talked about my mentality when I try not to give a hitter credit. It's just control what you can control out there. Uh, you know, it's that's the biggest thing. You got the ball in your hand and you try to make the pitches. And after the ball leaves your hand, there's not much you can do. So just you know, control what you control over the rubber. Try to execute. Try to try to compete the best you can against the hitter, and and uh, and the rest will take care of itself. But you go out there and give your best effort every day. Usually things are going to fall into place. Given the career you had, and you mentioned some of the injuries you came back from, 
Describe the balance of learning to pitch at maybe less than 100% versus not pitching when you're hurt. There are differences. There are differences. I remember Bobby Cox said that the moment a pitcher signs his uh, contract, his professional contract, his arm is never 100% ever again. So <laughs> It's like driving a new car off the lot, it immediately yeah. loses value. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, so that's the thing. You got to balance it. You got to you got to find a routine. What helps you recover? Um, what 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 you need out of your throwing program every day? So that was kind of the fun part, as I mentioned before, like trying to talk to the younger kids and teach them, like, hey, you know, some days you got to, you know, pull back a little bit. Some days, if you're feeling good, if your arm's feeling good, hey, let it let it eat. Throw yeah. throw as much as you want, but um, get to know yourself. That's the biggest thing is you get to know yourself in those first few years as a professional baseball player and. The quicker you can do it, I think the better off you'll be. Can you give me a story in the minor league life where it comes to mind of like, all right, this this can only happen when you're in the minor leagues, whether it's, you know, I mean, the, let's the Pacific Coast League travel back in the day, the early mornings, or, you know, those uh, three-hour rain delays and the game continues and there's like four people in the stands. Or, I mean, is there anything that kind of comes to mind that would – would sort of summarize for somebody some things that you can be part of at some point if you're in the minor leagues long enough as a player uh, you know clubhouses flood sometimes or these are these different horror stories of the minor league life it's pretty good now you look at the, all these new ballparks and the facility here in Nashville but I'm sure you played in some places that were less than a gem yeah uh, man I mean a couple spent a, parts of three years in Huntsville uh, that old stadium, they got a new new one now. So those guys are lucky to be playing that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was nights there in the middle of the summer in Alabama in the hot, sticky, humid weather that uh, all you could hear is a generator from uh, maybe the movie theater that was off in uh, right center or whatever it was. And um, I think we had some brown recluse spiders in the clubhouse. A skunk maybe got in, and yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting place and there were some smells and some things and yeah yeah it was wildlife makes appearances at times yes yes definitely the, yes there would be flooding of the of the dugout and all the stuff that you hear about yes yeah. as a guy from canada what are some of the stereotype typical questions that guys probably like they probably think there's it's always a blizzard in canada uh what what am i missing here guys are, are the, the common questions once someone realizes, oh you're from you're from up there huh it's funny you said so uh, I think yesterday, um, Otero asked me, he's from Panama, he asked me, because it was a humid day here, he was, what's the weather like in Canada? He had no, you know, no idea, does it get this hot? Um, and then on the bench, like, not but 20 minutes later on the bench, um, some pitchers were like, what's, is there different food up there in Canada? I was like, nah, it's, it's the same, man. Besides, besides poutine, french fries, and gravy, like, we're pretty much the same. But, uh, yeah, we're just neighbors of the north, really. <laughs> different food, like it's that far away. Yeah, we're right there. It is. Americans don't, I mean, there's, there's probably cooler places to visit, maybe, but Canada's beautiful. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I know it's not on the top of the list for for many people to head up there, but it's pretty good. As we wrap up, I know you and your wife are expecting a baby relatively soon here, right? Sometime in September, it's uh, it's coming up for you. Yeah, end of end of September. Both of us are really excited. I think she's ready for it <laughs> for now, but uh, we gotta we gotta wait and, until he's ready. <laughs> Look, I know the answer is all of it, but is there any component that you are most curious about, or excited about, or looking forward to experience uh, once your son is born? Um, 
this there's part of this where I want to like stay in the game so that he can be in the clubhouse, you know, yeah. and get to hang out. So I'm really looking forward to that, you know, get him in his little uniform and and bring him around and show him off. And uh, yeah, you know, stuff that you I probably don't think about or is going to be really cool moments. Um, so it's just going to for me, like we haven't really you know, my wife and I haven't really like read books or like tried to like look too deep into it. I think we're just like taking the approach like we're going to like play this out and kind of share in these moments together and, and just try to enjoy it. I know you've got a large dog. Are you looking forward to the relationship between the dog and what the dog might think of the baby and the attention that the baby is going to need? Yes, <laughs> uh, I think our I think our our dog has been the center of attention for seven years, and uh, we're gonna see how this goes. It's gonna be it's gonna be an adjustment for him, I'm sure. Uh, it might be spending a little bit more time outside than he usually does. <laughs> are you are you gonna try to make your son a right-handed pitcher like you were, or are you gonna play the odds and hope you get a lefty? Hmm. Interesting. That's always a question you baseball guys talk about. Let's try to tie up the right hand. Uh, nah, whatever, whatever naturally comes to him. I've, uh, most Canadians are left-handed swingers. Um, you know, if you look at yeah. look at Canada rosters and baseball rosters, so I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be a left-handed swinger, right-hand thrower. That's that's as that would be the uh, the staple of a Canadian-born kid. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks a lot for uh, for joining us today. All right. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Jim Henderson of the Brewers, Sounds pitching coach, former Sounds pitcher. This has been another edition of Rounding Third. We'll talk with you again next time. Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcast.